Let us prepare for the word as we say to, as we say the prayer of illumination. Let us pray. God of shining splendor, your voice makes the earth tremble in wonder. Overshadow us with your spirit so that we may hear your word and live as faithful disciples and covenant people. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our first reading is from the Old Testament, 2 Kings, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Elisha said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other, until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them into pieces. The responsive reading this morning is taken from the Old Testament, Psalm 50. A Psalm of Asaph. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out Out of of Zion, the the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire and a mighty tempest all around him. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Praise the Lord. New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 6. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel 
of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. New Testament, Mark chapter 9, verse 2-9 Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became drizzling light, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And he appeared to them, Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwelling, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they have seen until after the Son of Man has risen up from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Friends in Christ, what I say to you this morning is proclaimed in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus and his disciples are clambering up some unnamed mountain. So the story begins. It's not unlike several episodes already set out for us in the Gospels, is it? We're familiar with them. Jesus goes up into the high place or out into a lonely place to pray. Often in the Gospels, Jesus is seeking that opportunity for reflection and for renewal. That time of communion with his father. Often Jesus invites the disciples to come along with him. And often in these times set apart, these quiet moments away from the ever increasing crowds, Jesus teaches the disciples about the true nature of his ministry. As a result, as Peter and James and John set out with Jesus on that day, it must have seemed like a rather ordinary day for them. This day looked like so many other days, since they had left their boats in their nets and set off to follow Jesus. But at some point, as they arrived at the top of the mountain, that ordinariness was shattered and the disciples were confronted by a glimpse Christ's glory. Everything was transformed. The dry, arid, dusty earth dazzled. Jesus' clothes became unbelievably white. And when their eyes finally refocused, they saw Jesus seated with Moses and Elijah. I can imagine in my mind's eyes the disciples rubbing their eyes 
and trying to focus on this new reality that is unfolding in front of them. And as soon as they are able to discern all of these things that they see, it's gone. It is just a fleeting vision. There is that sense, isn't there? That it it comes and it goes like that. Peter, it seems, doesn't even have the time to get the sentence out of his mouth. Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then it's gone. The spell is broken. And they are left alone with Jesus. Sometimes as we read the story of the transfiguration, it is all too easy to come, be, become distracted by the fleeting. We become fixated by the glory shining all around. And yet, in the end, there is only Jesus. It is unpo- impossible, you know, to unravel the story of the transfiguration from that which comes before it. If you were present with me here this morning in the sanctuary, I would encourage I would be encouraging you to all grab your pew Bibles and turn to this page. Because it's strange this reading, this beginning of this passage. It begins at chapter nine, verse two of Mark's Gospel. Now At the risk of being daring, I'm going to say, we can't put too much stock in the chapter and verse numbers in in our Bibles. Those weren't there when Mark wrote this book. They were added later by in the history of the church by those who wanted an easy way to access particular passages of Scripture. And so we numbered those those Gospels and we divided them into chapters and into verses so that they could be more easily found. But it's interesting that this passage begins at chapter 9, verse 2, not 1. And that the story before hangs down below the end of chapter 8 and takes up that first verse of chapter 9. You cannot separate and disentangle these two verses, or these two stories, the last story of chapter 8 and chapter 9. Jesus, in chapter 8, asks his disciples who people are saying that he is. And Peter finally exclaims, you are the Messiah. Peter is the first to call Jesus the Christ. And yet there was a great deal of confusion at the time of Jesus as to exactly what that phrase meant, what it meant to be the the Christ. Within the imagination of the children of God, the coming of Christ would usher in a new time, a better time, an unimaginable time, a time when God's kingdom of justice and peace would be discovered. There would be something different, something better. But. But how that would happen and who that Messiah would be, whether a great warrior or a great prophet or a great king, there was much uncertainty. And Jesus here in chapter 8 offers his own definition. 
It is a radical departure from all of the preconceived notions about Messiahship that were prevalent in Jesus' day. Mark tells us, Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day rise again. He said all of this openly and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. This radical juxtaposition that we find in the previous story between the conqueror that the people were expected and the suffering Messiah that Jesus came to be is again mirrored here in this moment of transfiguration with the juxtaposition of the fact that God would come to earth, that there would be this moment of dazzling glory, but that God's glory would be manifest in the humanity of Jesus Christ. And in the end, at the end of the story, all that we are left with is Jesus. While in this moment, we are given a glimpse of the divine, like Peter and the disciples. We do not know what to do with this revelation until we see the glory of God manifest in Jesus of Nazareth. In these past five weeks that we have marked since the celebration of Epiphany, we have seen glimpses of glory in Jesus. We have seen Jesus cast out the demons We have seen him heal the sick. We have seen him open the scriptures and teach about the kingdom of God as one who knows it so well. Because he does. Because he is the son of God. And in these next six weeks, as we move from today in transfiguration to crucifixion and to Easter's empty tomb, as we witness the depth of God's love, that God would set aside all power and authority and take on himself human sin and put it on to death on the cross. We cannot comprehend the true glory found in Jesus Christ. But we can see glimpses of it. At the center of this text today is not the idea that Jesus is some distant and divine reality. The one who goes up into this high mountain, set apart and away. But rather, the Jesus who walks with us is in, and is in our suffering and pain. The Jesus who stands so close to us that we can almost reach out and touch the hem of his garment is revealed to us. And it is through that that we are given the glimpse of his glory. Likewise, as we come this day in worship and come to gather at the table that Christ provides for us, we come to receive bread and wine. And in them and in the sacred story which they embody, we are given a glimpse Not of the common and the everyday, but a glimpse of the feast of the kingdom of God and simple everyday elements. And so you are invited to come to this table, for our Savior has invited you to come to it. 
This is not the church's table. This is the table of our Lord. It is the table of the feast of the kingdom of God. So come, taste the bread, smell the wine. For God's grace is all around. And it is in the surprising things of every day that we will glimpse God's glory and come to know that God is with us. Thanks be to God this day and always. Amen.